Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 83. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. This week we bring you a story by Robert Reed. The story is called Floating Over Time. Robert is the author of a dozen novels, give or take, and nearly 200 short stories. His work regularly appears in Asimov's Fantasy and Science Fiction and Sci Fiction. He's also published 11 novels. He won a Hugo Award in 2007 for his novella, A Billion Eves. Robert's website is linked in our show notes if you'd like to find out more about him and his work. So without further ado, Floating Over Time by Robert Reed. Drab green and sloppily patched, the ancient waders were far too large for his feet and his scrawny, nearly emaciated legs, which was precisely why he chose them. Once they were pulled on and secured with orange suspenders, he began walking toward the boathouse, each step creating a sturdy, thumping noise, like a small drum being slowly beaten by a bored and fitful child. The rocks that he needed were waiting at the shoreline, black chunks of ancient gneiss, each one substantial but small enough to slip between the rubber and his body. Ten minutes of determined labor made the waders lumpy with the ballast. Walking was considerably more difficult, and it angered him when a sharp edge sliced into his calf muscle. But why worry about a little blood? Because he had always been neat, seventy-seven years of habit refused to be set aside now. This was the same meticulousness that made him shower first and then sort his belongings before writing the appropriate letters. People would discover the updated will and every insurance policy, as well as his dead wife's few bits of jewelry. With his copious, almost artful scrawl, he had explained why this was necessary, though he had lingering doubts that his failing health and an increasingly foggy mind were reasons enough. In truth, he was utterly powerless to identify why at all, and why today. But he woke at dawn, full of certainty. He was doing what had to be. His worst obstacle was the tremendous fatigue that struck as he climbed the four oak steps into the boathouse. Shuffling slowly through the barn-like interior, he had no choice but to look at everything. Worn objects that had gone unnoticed for years, at least by him, were suddenly obvious. A short, useless coil of yellow rope. One dusty, burned-out light bulb set on a high shelf. Two toy oars meant for an inflated raft sunk long ago, and a minnow bucket that he must have used in his life, but he couldn't remember when. Then he passed back into the early sunshine, and just like that, he felt better again. He was renewed and more certain than ever. The rocks inside the waiter had settled, stretching the rubber until it didn't make the obnoxious drumming noise anymore. He was aiming for the end of the dock. There, the lake was three meters deep, at least. But despite his thorough planning, it occurred to him only now that the deep water would be bitterly cold. He had never enjoyed being cold. Perhaps a wool shirt would make this experience less uncomfortable. Should he retreat, hunting for something scratchy and warm inside the boathouse? Being chilled was much better than looking foolish, 
which was how he would appear if somebody found him rummaging through the drawers and cupboards, a crazed man wearing nothing but his nightshirt, and a pair of fishing waders filled to bursting with bloody black rocks as old as the continent. She was tiny, barely 50 kilometers in diameter, and even then a substantial fraction of her bulk was mindless mass, a block of anti-iron carried for no purpose but to give her brief life meaning. She was a machine, fabulously complex and durable and imaginative. She was also alive. By some measures, she wasn't merely one life, but millions. The essence of an entire species was impressed upon her tenacious soul. One of her purposes, perhaps her central function, was to represent those who built her to whomever and whatever she met. Another purpose was to examine everything she saw with her builder's defining delights. She could be curious. She was often passionate. Her consuming regret was that she had seen so little of what there was to see, if only she'd had the means to continue the voyage, for today and the next little while. Ten million years wasn't long, not in any honest measure of things, and most of the last ten million years were spent crossing an impoverished, almost starless vacuum. She was an intricate, magical device, bearing the wisdom of an entire species. Mapping that great swirl of stars and dust, noise and life, took barely 500,000 years, and she was so busy that her adventure seemed to take a single breathless moment. She had spoken to every voice, learning every fact and song and story and faith, but it was a mere taste of what was available, and she was hungry for more. Another 50 million years would pass before the next whirlpool of suns. Yet that was nothing set against the enduring, unbounded cosmos, and she had to entertain the reasonable question, would her builders appreciate her initiative if she continued? If she disobeyed orders and gave them, or at least their remote descendants, one good look at places even more remote than this? According to every parameter, her mission was a total success. 92,011 intelligent species had been spoken to directly. Another 600,000 were identified and at least partly described. Her mind held the most ancient knowledge as well as the genius of creatures that grew sentient only yesterday. Yet her life had no point if she didn't explain what she knew. And the distance between her and home was so great that her builders, after long debate and tough calculations, decided the only workable solution was for her to say nothing until the end, conserving her energy. Then, once free of populated space, she would build a sophisticated antenna out of spare parts and magnetic envelopes. Her ordinary flesh would collapse into the anti-iron weighting her belly, producing a pulse of gamma radiation that the antenna would steer, a scorching, focused light that would leap across what was still a remarkably tiny fraction of the universe. The wisdom of her life directed at a spark that had promised to watch for her, waiting for her bright, brief words. From her death, greatness would rise. This was her purpose, her quest, and her consuming passion. But now that the culminating moment had arrived, doubts rose. She was genuinely and thoroughly terrified by what was about to happen. 
with a private voice invented and then perfected over the empty, many-million-year voyage, she said, Maybe there is another way. Even when she knew there wasn't, she let herself wish it. And that's how the remains of her life became a little less terrible, given that faint illusion of choice. The wood of the dock ended with a geometric perfection of a line, and beyond lay bright air and a quiet lake, sunlight skipping across the quicksilver surface. His earnest intention was to walk steadily to the end and over, allowing no hesitation, no second thoughts. But the grace that he'd hoped for in this critical moment was lost when the trailing foot caught a high plank and the leg buckled, his leading knee failing to hold him upright. Stumbling forward, his reflexes awoke, hands grabbing at the bleached oak post jutting up on his left. He went to death, but his body entertained an entirely different opinion. There was no coordination in his flailing, and his worn, tired, furious voice spat out a simple shit as his right hand missed its target, but the left hand and its arm slapped against the wood, and even as his body plunged over the side, he managed to swing around and cling to the post long enough that his other arm could join the fight. Legs struck water, and he felt the pressure and chill climb up his waist and then hesitate. Against every intention, he clung desperately to the dock, his right hand reaching around the post until his fingers lay across his bruised left hand. Adrenaline gave him power. For a moment or two, he managed to lift himself, the lake beginning to recede. But that slight loss of buoyancy tipped a scale, and his age and health and state of mind were brought into play. He could hold himself in place for another few moments, perhaps half a minute. But already his arms were shaking, and the fingers wanted to slip, and the oak grew slick with the sudden rush of nervous perspiration, and letting go proved easy enough. Knowing his soul best, the right hand gave up the fight first, and then the left was dragged across the dock as the lake climbed up the length of his body, the chill water slipping inside the totally submerged waders. Even then, his instincts ruled. He didn't intend any last breath, much less stealing a deep gulp of air as his face was yanked underwater. But he found his chest inflated and both arms going limp, some calming spirit forcing him to do nothing but relax, refusing to struggle, as if by rationing his oxygen and energies, he might, against all odds, survive. The lake bottom was covered with a thin lawn of weeds, knee-high and dark in the muted light. He ended up sideways to the dock, eyes opened but nothing in view possessing more than a hint of a shape. A single fish swam away in terror, but several little rock bass approached near enough to claim shelter and feeding rights in what they perceived as a new reef. Then he stopped looking, even with his eyes open. A blindness born of indifference took hold, and he thought about exhaling, and didn't, and tried to blow, and couldn't. And then, a first tentative bubble broke through his pursed lips, and in his mind he discovered sudden thoughts about the structure and nature of time and space. Even wielding vast energies and a withering focus, she knew too much to tell her story with a single pulse of radiation. Elaborate cheats and simplifications helped build her message home. Thousands of alien species could be described in the text, but every overlapping belief in science had to be rendered with a simplifying code. 
That was one of the most amazing lessons of her mission. How easily entities from diverse worlds, built on every variation of natural selection, discovered the same mathematics, the same physics, sharing basic principles of philosophy and beauty. The faces of gods refused to repeat, but a tiny number of categories defined most of the galaxy's faiths. Great legends and common passions were rarely so odd as to be unrecognizable. And when it came to the linchpins of this universe, there was broad agreement. Creation began tiny and hot, and the expansion was fast enough to flatten the visible universe, and what lay beyond could never be seen, but was easily envisioned. The same natural laws were discovered by every sentient species, and inside those equations lay the end of this realm, and the immortality of the universe, and the power of the infinite, and the absolute and staggering insignificance of time. This she had always known. She learned the essential laws before leaving home. But what had always been a chilly, uncomforting notion of timelessness and eternity was suddenly precious. Amassing resources, preparing for a final moment of existence, she could believe with unassailable authority that there could be no end to an existence built upon infinite assemblages of matter and energy. And there was no time, just countless examples of inevitable existence, a tiny few of which happened to look and feel and taste very much like others. An irresistible spasm had closed his larynx, and the lake filled his stomach while the lungs remained isolated and exhausted. He was close to unconscious, but in the same moment lucid enough to feel pain and terror, and the inconsiderately sluggish pace of each second. Death teased. Like a cat, it refused to finish its latest mouse. "'You won't ever die,' his brain warned with a voice familiar and furious. "'This is your existence. Forever.' The compression of each miserable second was awful enough to make him scream, but the throat stubbornly remained knotted up, and so he tried kicking sluggishly and flailed with useless pale arms and closed his eyes again. Without warning, from no particular place, came the clear memory of a battered magazine wearing a photograph of endless stars, and in particular, an article that he had scanned only once while sitting in the cool, bright, boring waiting room of his proctologist. Some fresh young theory of everything was being presented. Even when he first read it, he understood that if this was inside a popular magazine, the theory wasn't new anymore. It was a novelty meant to fill pages and spare minutes, and he hadn't been serious about his reading. Yet, he must have paid close attention, because without trying, each printed page returned to him in its entirety, and every aspect of the simplified description was obvious— and when he discovered the box on the second-to-last page, the golden rectangle sprinkled with dense equations and a few terse explanations, he was mesmerized. What lay in his mind's eye was a lucid and relentless, beautiful and inescapable model that would hearten the mind of a man drowning on the bottom of any lake. Of course, all of this was a hallucination brought on by oxygen starvation and the dying brain. However comforting, madness remained madness. Even at the end, he warned himself not to get carried away with needless enthusiasms. But that was before he discovered the final paragraph in the article, where the supposed genius responsible for the mathematics asked the reader, but why this persistent illusion of life and progress? Why one arrow of time and not the other? I don't understand. 
I truly don't. Where hides the reason, the relentless, passionate purpose that keeps us believing that one damn thing will inevitably follow after another? What had baffled the genius enthralled the dying man? And suddenly he saw why it was, and perhaps in one fashion or another, he had always known. Only at the end, as that final microsecond began, did she ask, But what if my builders have vanished? What if my home sun is dancing with dead worlds, or worse, blind, indifferent ones? She loathed that possibility. To outlive her purpose would be the most miserable fate. Most of what remained of her life was invested in a lucid daydream about living happily for another 50 million years, and then another 50 billion, just to shame the ghosts who would send her out into the cold and then vanish. But tempting as that was, she didn't abort her suicide. Nothing ever ended. The universe was linked and eternal, and the tiny actions of a little entity such as her amounted to nothing. And wasn't that an astonishing and beautiful blessing? Matter dominated the universe. Not by design, but because in the beginning, when everything was fiercely hot and dense, antimatter was slightly less abundant than its sibling, and once all of the mutual annihilations were finished, protons and electrons took control. And now he understood, plainly and simply, that was much the same with the apparent passage of time. The irresistible sense of past and present and future was a residue, the consequence of countless tiny events. Creation was filled with endless voices busily telling their very little stories, and just as matter outnumbered its counterpart, there was a slight but critical bias towards the voices that began at the beginning. Hence the arrow of time, but more important, and by a long ways, was the implication that telling tales mattered. And at the most fundamental level, without even trying, something as simple and secretive as idle thoughts were not only linked, but shaping the structure of everything. With that thought, he opened his eyes. Or at least believed he had. The bottom of the lake stretched before him smooth and sandy, with the brown weeds and the rock bass motionless, like elements captured inside an exceptionally clear photograph. He studied the changeless scene until satisfied, and then he discovered that he could turn slightly. And when he did, he found a woman standing beside him. A beautiful, ageless creature dressed in brilliant light. And just when he thought that she must be a god, she returned his gaze. Terror and loneliness lay in those giant white eyes. He felt sorrow for the creature. Still inside that timeless moment, he offered his hand to the vision, and she took it gratefully, even desperately. Flesh merging with flesh, and a fierce heat coursing between them, and suddenly, there was so much to see. Suns, and vivid, living worlds, and peoples beyond count and he closed his eyes again, seeing all of the wonders in one pitiless, perfect eternity. 
Well, that was our story. Hope you enjoyed it. This is one of those stories that affected me deeply, and I honestly can't muster up the wherewithal to do story feedback or say anything particularly clever. Of course, it is my fiduciary responsibility to remind you that we're able to produce stories like this and bring them to you on a weekly basis by your generous support alone. Consider donating to us either once or for $5 a month via the PayPal link on our website at www.drabblecast.org. Share this episode with whoever you like. We're distributed under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives license. Our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you that telling tales matters. 